Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, Mark chapter 14. Seems like we've been in Mark chapter 14 for the longest time. And uh, let's see, get my notes organized here. And we're talking about tonight, we're going to talk about with a story where Peter um, denies Jesus. And, but, you know, Peter is one of the most active characters probably in New Testament history. And he's known for, you know, his great. And wonderful blunders, right? But you know, if you don't ever aim high, you know, if you aim high, sometimes you're going to miss really big. But when you win, you win really big too, right? I mean, we remember him for taking his eyes off Jesus and sinking, but he's the only other person besides Jesus who ever walked on water. So that's a big blunder, but a big win too. And uh, you know, in denying Jesus, he was, uh, he was the one who stood up the most vocally saying, Lord, even if everybody else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. And big statements, big, bold statements. I think Jesus liked that. I really do. But because he fell, it was a big, humongous blunder. It was a big fall. You know, but the rest of them, except for John, they weren't even there. They didn't even follow, you know. And so it's just, I think sometimes Peter just gets a little bad rap, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think Peter... I think Peter has a, a, a lot of good qualities. Um, and also, the fact that he did make big blunders is encouragement to all of us. But um, do, you, do you remember, um, in, you know, he, said, he said to the Lord, uh, I'll die with you, even if, even if I have to die with you. And I really believe that, you know, because in the garden, he's the one who's actually struck with the sword, right? In fact, if you go to Luke, um, Jesus was just getting ready to go out to the garden, and he was talking to them. He said, when I went with you, uh, I, when I sent you out, rather, and uh, you, you had no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be filled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here's two swords. And he said, that's enough. And some translations, they translate it like, enough of that. <laughs> enough of that. But what's interesting is this whole group of disciples, there's two swords, and Peter had at least half of them. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Peter had both of them in his knapsack, just to be honest with you. Um, but this, this is Peter. Um, but what I want to do, so the number, the number one cause of failure is trying. If you never try, you'll never fail. But you know, as we go on to, to do things for God, if we fail sometimes, fine. Let's do like Peter. Let's get up, keep going, don't quit. We'll be remembered for some blunders, maybe, but we'll also be remembered for some great things. Peter's remembered for some great things. And uh, what I want to do today, uh, well, I'm going to just kind of place this in its timeline, and then I want to kind of look at the Peter after the resurrection and compare him a little bit to the Peter before the resurrection and just kind of see uh, some different things that have happened. Um, basically, Jesus, if you, if you want to just kind of put everything here in order... The communion, the Last Supper, uh, 
Jesus says, I'm, I'm giving you a kingdom. I'm assigning you a kingdom. My computer's shutting off. There we go. Come back on. Um, uh, let's see. Get back on here. Okay. And, and, and uh, after everybody scattered, it was Peter and John who followed Jesus into the high priest's court, courtyard. Um, and in Mark's account, uh, Jesus, you know, is watching them and seeing what's going on. And they're abusing Jesus. They're beating him up. They're roughing him up. He, they hear him condemn him to death. And this is the same Jesus who was always in complete control of everything. He was always in control. He could always escape the crowd when they were trying to stone him. He could always say a word that would humiliate his opponents. And now Jesus has fallen into the hands of the enemies. And uh, I, I think, honestly, Peter's time here was probably one of a little bit of confusion. Actually, a lot of confusion. And I think it was even worse than that. Um, the, the common teaching that I've heard most of my life on Peter's denial here is, you know, that Peter, he even denied the Lord, and God's the God of a second chance. Peter was human just like us. If we screw up, if we mess up, you know, if we even deny him, God will take us back, be encouraged by that. And I think that is absolutely right. I think he's, as long as you're breathing air, I mean, there's, there's hope to be restored and to be right with God. But um, I think Peter's situation wasn't exactly like ours. And what I want to do is just kind of explore um, some of the situations, some of the things that I think changed from the time of Peter in the priest's courtyard till Peter after Pentecost. And so what I want to do, instead of starting with our passage in Mark, I want to go to Acts 4 starting with verse 1, and just want to look at Peter before the council here. And I want to pull out some of these words, okay? Um, let's see, let me put the bookmark there, come back to it. Okay. Okay, now this is Peter and John, and this, they're before the council. And they're speaking to the people, and listen to these words. The priests, listen who's here, the captain of the temple... The Sadducees, they came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter is doing some great things here, right? This is amazing. I mean, he preaches a sermon, 3,000, then 5,000 get saved. How many preachers would love to have that experience? What an honor to, to do that. Uh, on the next day, the rulers and elders, okay, the rulers, the elders, the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now we're naming names with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. I mean, this is the whole Levitical tribe here. This is the ruling caste in, in, in Israel. And they pull them up and they're putting them on trial. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So they want to know what, who, who these people are about. Evidently, they didn't recognize them. They didn't know who they were. And they asked them, by what power or by what name? So what name is another way of saying, whose authority? By what power and by whose authority are you doing this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's being stern with them. He is rebuking them. He is not backing down. This is not the same Peter in the, in the courtyard. Uh, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now listen to this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they start preaching Jesus, and then they recognize that, hey, these guys were with Jesus. You know what that tells me? That tells me when Peter was in the courtyard that night, <coughs> excuse me, when Peter was in the courtyard that night, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know him from Adam. I don't think that Peter was probably in the danger he probably thought he was in that night. They weren't really interested in Peter. Now let's go back to our, our passage in, um, in uh, Mark. Now notice the key words there that I was kind of pulling out, the priests captain of the temple, the Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, the scribe, the council. And, and we're going to go to Mark uh, 14, 53. And uh, now this is where Peter's in the courtyard and Jesus is on trial now before the council. They led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders, chief priests, elders, and scribes came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So here's Jesus. This is the same group of people. I, I just love this. That I don't know, what do you think? It's about eight weeks probably because Pentecost, 50 days from the, from the trial to the, 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 when Peter's standing. It's about two months. Two months later, here's Peter just standing up here rebuking them. The same people who just sentenced Jesus to death, just as bold as can be. That's an amazing thing to me. And uh, I, I just want to explore some of the things that have changed. Now, when we go down to, uh, drop down to Mark, uh, let's see, I think I said 16. If I put that in my notes, I'm wrong. It's Mark 14, 66. Okay, now listen to, listen to who Peter's talking to. Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Not, not the chief priest, not the elders, not the council, a servant girl. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And then the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. He's not standing up before the council denying him. He's denying him before a servant girl who's got no authority probably to even go up there and approach the council. And the bystanders are just hanging out in the courtyard. Uh, but again, he denied it. A little while later, the bystanders said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're able to do in a life like Peter, just an ordinary man. I thank you for what you're able to do in the lives of us, Lord, your church, your body today. Lord, speak to us through Peter's experience and show us
how we can be like Peter and accurately represent you on the earth today before servant girls and leaders and councils. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, what I have here is um, just four key things that I think, I think there's a lot of stuff happened, but I just kind of narrowed it down just to, to analyze it and look at it. Four key things that changed from Peter at the priest's palace. Look, that's an alliteration. I almost accidentally fell into that. I, I must be like, I never really knew what I thought about, like, transference of anointing, but <laughs> you hang around somebody, you know. So it's Peter at the high priest's palace and the, the post-Pentecostal Peter. So Peter before Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost. All right. And, and I got four things, and what I want to do is I just want to say all four things real quick, because I, 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 if you don't say what all four things are and start preaching, somebody comes up and plays piano halfway through. So, <laughs> so, so you've got to know them. So I'm just going to, <laughs> I'm going to say what they are, and then we're going to just kind of look at them and, and, and see, see what, you know, some cool stuff here, I promise. Anyway, the first thing that happened from Peter in the, in, in the palace denying Jesus till Peter standing before the council, Satan was defeated. That's the first thing. Second thing was Peter was clothed in power, baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out. The third thing that happened was Peter had a clear mission, okay? A clear clarity of mission. And the fourth thing was Peter had an understanding of grace like few people have, right? So number one, Satan was defeated. Um, John 17, 11 and 12. Uh, while the disciples were with Jesus, while they were following him in the, on the earth, the Bible says that Jesus actually kept them, kept them safe from the devil. He says, I am no longer in the world. This is at the end of John where Jesus is praying the, the, the prayer for his disciples. And he's praying to God. He says, I'm no longer in the world but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. This is just loaded here. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one has been lost except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. Okay, now, when you read it and you study it out, there's, it's a kind of a play on words there, but the son of destruction, it, it, he left free will, okay, and then he left. But the ones who stayed with Jesus, he kept them. He kept them in his name. He kept them in his authority. And um, so there, there's, there's something that's kind of uh, interesting because the church's relationship with the devil is really something that, well, let's just go on. I don't want to get too, too far ahead. During the trial and crucifixion, though, they were in the hands of Satan. That's what that's important. Luke twenty two, thirty one to thirty two. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And the the words here, the commentaries, it, it appears that Satan had obtained a legal permission to sift the disciples. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. The word there you is plural, so it's all the disciples. And so it's kind of like a Job experience where Satan had access to God to make this request, to make this demand. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And, and that's just a profound thought because the question then comes, does Satan have the right to sift us, 
to have us? To, to what degree does he have a right? And I just want to say this. Satan doesn't have authority, but Satan has ability. Okay? I've gone, I got verses. I got lots of verses. They're good. He doesn't have authority. He has ability. In the uh, King James Bible, a lot of times they mix up the word authority and uh, power. The exousia and dunamis. They translate them both power or authority, usually power. But in most of your more modern translations like the NASB or ESV, they, they translate them accurately to what they are. But authority is not just power, but it's the right to use that power. Dunamis is ability. The devil has ability. He can do things, but he doesn't have the authority to do things. And so it's interesting. Um, it, the, the devil, uh, the, we are instructed now to oppose the devil and to resist him. Uh, James 4, 7, 1 Peter 5, 9, talk about opposing the devil, withstand, resist the devil. The word actually means oppose. And there's a lot of practical ways that we're told to, guard, to uh, um, resist the devil. One of them is to uh, guard our minds, take captive thoughts. Because the devil doesn't, his ability is to lie to get you to believe something, to get you to work with him. And then when you start speaking that, you're the one with the authority. He just has ability. You have the authority, and then your own words hang you. And so that's why it's so important to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ, guard our hearts, guard our minds. Proverbs says, above all, guard your heart, because that's where your life comes from. I've preached it to kids over and over and over. You've got eye gates, you've got ear gates, you've got a mouth. They're all connected to your heart. Things you see go straight to your heart. It's wired that way. People say, I can watch that, I can listen to that, and it won't affect me. That's not true because your eyes are connected to your heart. That's just how you're wired. Your ears are connected to your heart. What you give your attention to goes into your heart. And so guarding our lives from the devil is very, very practical. Another way is to guard our actions. The Bible says in um, James 1, 22 and 23, to be a doer of the word. If we're a hearer only, we've deceived ourselves. And so to be a doer of the word is to guard our lives from the devil. Another thing is relationships. It says uh, in Ephesians 4, 26, don't let the sun go down on your... I don't think I put these on there so you don't have to worry about following. I'm just flying through them fast. Um, it says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, don't give the devil a foothold. Isn't that interesting? Just how you treat others uh, can keep the devil out of your life and out of your relationships. Um, the, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Paul's talking about appointing leadership. And he says, don't make it a new convert, you know, a young Christian. Make sure he has a good reputation with those on the outside. Why? Because they don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Isn't that interesting? Just very practical things that we can do. Uh, I was talking to Rinkim just about it, you know, all this stuff going on with our president and all these accusations, and you never know what's true and what's politics. But I told her this. I said, you know, if, if the man would have always lived a holy life, he would be so protected from this at this point, you know? Just a holy life, holiness, is such a sure way to be protected from the devil. And... Um, and of course, there's the armor of God, you know, the armor of God so that we can oppose the devil in that day, that we can withstand um, the, the shield of faith will quench every fiery dart of the devil. You take the, 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 
breastplate of righteousness, you know, the sword of the Spirit. And I think sometimes when we study it, we think breastplate. But it's not breastplate, it's righteousness. It's righteousness that he put on like a breastplate. It, it wasn't a belt that he wrapped around him. It was truth that he wrapped around him that kept him safe. It's not a helmet that protects you from the devil. It's salvation. And so major on what it is. It's the truth. It's righteousness. It's salvation. It's the gospel. And, and these are things that make us so secure from the devil. Why? Because the devil doesn't have authority. He only has ability. He can do things because he's here. But he does not have authority over us, over the church. And, but Peter was vulnerable in the courtyard. He was being sifted by the devil. But at the resurrection, the powers were defeated. Okay. 1 John 5.18 We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. All right? Peter couldn't have been born of God. The resurrection didn't happen. There was no new creation yet. We're a new creation, born of God. The evil one does not touch him. We keep ourselves in the Word. The evil one does not touch us. First John 3, 8 is not on there. Uh, for this reason, the Son of uh, God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So what he came to do. Revelation 12, 11, and 10. There was a Revelation 12, there's a war in heaven. And picking up at verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives to the death. Hear that? The one who accuses him day and night, uh, he has been thrown down. He's cast out of heaven. He had no access, no access to get permission to sift you. <laughs> he has no permission, no authority, never will. He can't, doesn't even have access to get it now. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That means Jesus took on flesh that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Is the devil defeated? Absolutely he is. Ephesians 1, 16 through 23, it's a long passage, and I was preparing this uh, several weeks ago when, when James was really talking a lot about I think we went a couple weeks over on the resurrection, and I know you use this verse too. It's so powerful. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's my prayer. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know these things about him. We know where we stand with him. We know where we stand in relationship to the devil. We know where we stand in relationship to each other. That the eyes of your hearts being enlightened, that you may know which is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I love that one. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that works in us. See, God doesn't have... He has power. He's not, he, he doesn't have saving power, healing power, resurrection power. He has power. It's kind of like 
um, you take the outlet, you know, and you can plug in a light bulb and it makes a demand on the power and it lights the room. You can plug in your laptop and it'll run your laptop. You can plug in a keyboard and it'll play a keyboard. It's the same power, but it manifests, if you will, different ways according to the need. And uh, God's power will, will um, take form according to what we believe when we make a demand on it. Do you remember the blind men? And they said... Um, uh, uh, Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that we, we want to receive our sight. And he says, receive your sight as you've believed, something like that. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. She touched his garment. I mean, who's controlling how the power works here? It's the people who are believing. What they're believing when they contact Jesus is what's happening. Even the centurion, Jesus says, he came to Jesus says, please come heal my servant. Uh, he's sick, and Jesus is like, okay, I'll go heal him. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Just speak the word, and he'll be healed. It's what he believed. And Jesus said, okay, I've not found faith like this. Go and be healed. So it, depending on what we believe, and, you know, I just want to say when, when we're having times of worship, like, like even tonight and on so many times lately on Sunday mornings, it's been sweet, but... That's the power of God. That will meet every need we have. It's here. Make a demand on it. When Jesus was preaching um, and, and the, the man was sick and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. The Bible says the power of God was present to heal. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And they started criticizing him in their hearts. And he said, what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? He said that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. And the man was healed. And so, you know, I expect, I, I'm believing. Let's stretch our faith. Let's stretch our faith. When we're, when we're together as a group, let's believe for healings, power, manifestation. I'm believing for it, even in the preaching, even now. I mean, if, if you're getting healed, great, you know. I, I need my voice cleared up, you know. Let's, let's believe for it. Let's, let's, let's just increase our believing. The power is here. It will do the work. God will do the work. The Spirit is here. If the Spirit's here, there's freedom. He wants to do it. Let's increase our believing on purpose, on purpose. And let's see some great things. Yeah, I like that. Um, <clears throat> but that was a bunny trail. I liked it, but it was a bunny trail. Because the next part, it says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's beautiful. And I mean, there's about, I've got just right here my notes not to read, just uh, if you're taking notes, look at 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22, Hebrews 1, 13, and Colossians 2, 12 and 15. They all say the same thing. The Colossians one is the one that says he made a public display of them open, openly, triumphing over them. The devil is so defeated. And that is a big change between the, the pre-whatever Peter and then Peter afterwards. The devil has been dealt with. And it's our job now is to enforce that. Uh, your, your destiny and your mission and your purpose is to put your foot on the devil's neck and keep it there. All right. Point number two. Now, I know I made a mistake of saying four points and spending like 
20 minutes on the first point. The next ones are faster, I promise. But point number two, Peter is clothed in power. I like to say here that the powers were disarmed and the church was armed because of the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read three verses. I'm not going to preach on this. It's important, but it's, there's too much to, to, to do if we were to try to expand on it. But John 16, 7, Jesus says to the disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? He says it's better. I mean, how can it be better for Peter for Jesus to go away? What, what Peter had with the Holy Spirit after the resurrection was actually better than Peter being with Jesus before the resurrection. That's a profound thought, but it's, it's what the Bible says. Luke twenty four forty nine. Behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay? Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as we know from Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were clothed with power. They spoke in tongues. They did all those things. And I just want to say, um, if, you've received, if you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just encourage you to practice it every day. Pray in tongues. Exercise it. Long for the greater gifts. Let it grow in you. That's God's plan. If you've not, seek it. It's worth it. It's good. God wants it. It's important. Okay. Point number two. Point number three. Peter had a clear sense of mission. Okay. One of the last things Peter heard from Jesus was, you guys are all going to fall away and you're going to get sifted by the devil. <laughs> What's the mission? You're in the courtyard. Jesus is uh, or, or sentenced to death. What in the world is the mission? Where do you hang on to? What do you do? Like I said, I think there was a lot of confusion that, that we don't have to have that Peter had. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'm not trying to, undermine the, the common teaching about, you know, human nature is human nature. So he, he did deny him. I'm not trying to make excuses for Peter, but he, what, what is the mission? But see, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared personally to the disciples. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He's giving them a purpose, a mission. He appeared personally to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? This is in John. Feed my sheep. He reinstates Peter. He gives him a clear focus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That just dovetails right with the first point. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a lot better than you're all going to fall away and the devil's going to sit. <laughs> I mean, clear sense of purpose. And uh, we, as a church body, we have a purpose. There is a mission for the church. And it's not personal. It's the mission for the church. Okay? The church triumphant. Do the same works that Jesus did. In the beginning of the book of Acts, it talks about all that Jesus began to do in the Gospels. He continued through the book of Acts in his new position at the right hand of the Father through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, It's the same mission that Jesus had. That is the mission of the church. But it's also good to go ahead and get on our faces before God and say, God, what is my mission? 
to keep me on target? Where do I dovetail in with this greater mission of the church? That will not change. It's established. But where is my place? Am I, you know, what gifts do I have? Am I one of the ministry, one of, one of the, what, what is it? And, and to know that and to keep clear. Sense of mission keeps us focused. You know, even in the military, if, if they lose uh, communication with command, they go back to the mission and continue the mission. And, you know, some people, you hear these testimonies, and I love them. They, they feel like God's just always talking to them and riding motorcycles with them and just always speaking words to them. But that's not always the case for everybody. You know, sometimes we go for a while and we don't feel that closeness or hear that, but that does not mean that we are not one with the Lord and that we don't have a sense of mission and purpose. And so we can't try to live everybody else's experience, but we do need to know what God would have us to do in this bigger plan. So that's number three, a clear sense of mission. And then finally, number four, an understanding of the grace of God. Okay. John Lake is a, a missionary um, in the early, uh, early 1900s, right around the time of Pentecost, or, the, or not Pentecost, Azusa Street and all that stuff. He wasn't a part of that movement directly, but it was that time era. And uh, he was a missionary in Africa. Then he came back to the United States and he worked on the West Coast and did healing rooms and different things and had tremendous miracles. And uh, he said, uh, some people say, this is what he wrote, some people say that I can do what I do because of who I am. But my Jenny, that's his wife, would laugh if she heard somebody say that because she knows too well, my too well my faults and failures and shortcomings. I'm able to do what I do not because of who I am, but because I have the ability to forget who I am. If Peter would have just hung on to that denial, you know, oh, hi the ability to forget their mistakes and to still be willing to stand there so boldly as a representative of God is a, is a, is a, it's grace. It's nothing but grace. And um, I, I'm just going to go, let me, let me uh, pull my Bible. I just want to close with this on this final point because this is about grace. Um, Peter, Peter operated in a tremendous miracle. When he was on trial, they were opened up in the beginning. He just was, when they healed the lame man at the gate beautiful, do you remember the story? Um, he he uh, said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he pulled the man up, and he ran into the, into the uh, temple where they were having church, basically. And uh, like, I think it was 3,000 people at that time got saved at, at this miracle. And he was very bold to operate it. And they challenged him and they were asking him, how are you doing this? And, and Peter gives the explanation. The man was clinging to Peter and John. And I'm, I'm in Acts 3, uh, verse 11. Now in chapter 4 where I opened up, it was the trial before the council that, that resulted from this miracle. But right here he's ex explaining the, he clung to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him to walk? What are you looking at me for as if I'm 
godly or did anything right. I didn't. See, we, we, we're so blessed because we receive salvation by grace, right? Every, right? Right? But do we deserve to be used of God to preach the gospel? I mean, do we deserve it? I, I would go so far as to say we minister salvation by grace. It's just the grace of God that allows us to do this. <laughs> Same with healing. He's saying he, it wasn't because he were good enough. We, we minister healing by grace. We receive healing by grace. We need to be careful not to pack a bunch of stuff onto it that the, the word doesn't. It's, we need to keep it clean. Um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. And he goes on, you delivered him and decided to release him. You denied him. He's getting his rebuke in with these people. But he says, by, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus have given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. You know, Peter, he, he didn't fast enough. He didn't pray enough. He didn't give enough. He didn't soak. He didn't do all this stuff right. He said it was faith. It was faith. And, and uh, we need to understand the grace of God. We need to sometimes be able just to forget past failures and lean hard on what Jesus is doing in us because he's forgotten. He's not holding it against us. And that's another area. This is how they all tie together of resisting the devil when he comes at us with our unworthy, you know, reminding us of things we've done and our shortcomings. It all, it all dovetails together. Resist the devil. Resist that. Resist his thoughts. Take captive his thoughts and renew our minds because we are what the word says we are. The Bible says looking into that word is like looking into a mirror. And we need to look into that and be a doer of that so we don't forget who we are. But uh, it all comes down to, to grace. We don't deserve to be used, but we get to, and it's wonderful. It's so good. And so with that, I'm just going to close us off, close us out here with a prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example in Peter's life. I thank you that even though he did mess up, you used him mightily. Lord, I ask that you would just teach us these same, um, these same things that we see in Peter, this understanding of grace. Give us a sense of purpose and mission. And, and allow us, Lord, to expand our understanding. Like the, the, the Ephesians prayer said, give us wisdom and insight so that we can operate in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit more and more and more. And Lord, evermore, let us realize that your enemy is defeated and you are seated at the right hand of the Father until your enemies are made your footstool. Your enemies will not be your footstool until the devil is under the feet of every single person in the church because the church is your body. And that's where the devil belongs, Lord. Lord, take us into an understanding of that so that we can be very bold like Peter, relying heavily on your grace and your calling and your purpose and not our own righteousness and goodness. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.